Here comes another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman. This week, we are taking great pleasure in not only having a title race, but one where multiple teams are managing to keep up the pressure on Big Bad Bayern. With me to talk all that over is the legendary Terry DeFellin. Hello. Hello, Matt. It's good to be here. It's nice to be here in Legend City. Nice, nice. You know, we'll be going to the Classics nightclub and <laughs> later on, maybe, I don't know, what what do you, what do, you do down there in, in the South Coast? Yeah, I hear you go to, out to Chinese restaurants for your anniversary and such. Yeah, yeah, we do. We go to Chinese restaurants, we go for walks along the beach, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, admittedly, it is February weather down here on the South Coast of England, but, you know, it's always a beautiful day down on the sunny shores of Sussex, even if they're not sunny. Dynamite. Yeah, we've entered the permafrost period of the year here. So we got snow on the ground and it's probably going to be there for uh, a few months yet. Let's talk about the Bundesliga. Why don't we, Terry? But uh, you probably should take a break before we do that. We will be right back with the best and the rest of Match Day 19. In the meantime, please do subscribe to the pod. Please do leave us a five-star rating. It's a big help getting the word out about the pod. If you really like us, we invite you to become a supporter on Patreon helps us keep the show going. Back in a jiffy. Well, 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 here is part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 19. I guess we're, we're well into the second half of the season now. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we're in full-blown title tilt mode here in the Bundesliga. We entered the match day with no less than five teams within three points of the top. That is really an unaccustomed feeling for us after about match day, what, four or five or something like that. Now that the dust has settled on match day 19, it's not quite so tight, but we can blame the makers of the fixture list for that in part as we had a head-to-head matchup within that quintet. At any rate, FC Bayern München, they still had two teams breathing down their necks going into Sunday's clash in Wolfsburg as Borussia Dortmund and as to FC Union Berlin both picked up wins on Saturday. Yeah, Wolfsburg, not exactly a lot of wind in their sails going into that game. They had a six-game league win streak snapped last weekend against Bremen. Then they got booted from the cup at midweek at the hands of Union. And you could say the Wolves started off a bit sheepish here, which turned out to be all Bayern really needed to knock them out. First half double from Kingsley Coman, plus a third from Thomas Müller, had the Wolves uh, back on their heels, although I'm not sure the Wolves really have heels. Terry, Wolfsburg, they did get one back before halftime, and you know, kind of early in the second half, Joshua Kimmich was sent off. Did you see a lot of jeopardy? At that point of the game, did you see Wolfsburg sort of pushing their way back in? I mean, they, they did create some chances. I think I did perceive some jeopardy. It's, it is difficult when you've watched so much Bundesliga and watched so much Bayern that you're watching the game like this and thinking, well, we know where this game is going. We know Bayern are going to win this game. And then you your mind convinces you that there's no jeopardy. But in fact, perhaps objectively, it wasn't quite so straightforward. Wolfsburg did create some chances. They were a bit hesitant. I think if they had been a little bit sharper, 
shown a bit more quality. They might have been in the game at an earlier stage, particularly quite early in the game. I think they I think that opening goal from Common kind of knocked, knocked the stuffing out of them because it was a bit unlucky because obviously Karen Castiles, he's thinking, where's Muller? What's Muller going to do at this point? Is he going to get this? And Castiles couldn't commit to saving Common's cross-come shot and it kind of drifted in really annoying so that and perhaps an element of good fortune about that or the kind of things that happened when you've got good teams and that kind of took the wind out of their sails but I felt as though Wolfsburg were in this game and particularly after Joshua Kimmich was was sent off I felt that Wolfsburg will continue to be in this game and that 4-2 is a little bit unkind while at the same time you know all of that Bundesliga Bayern conditioning in me is, <laughs> was telling me all the time saying well I know how this is going to end yeah, yeah. I actually think you look at that scoreline for two, and you know, yes, it's only a two goal margin. But anytime you score four on on somebody else away from home, you look at that as as you know something of a blowout. I guess I didn't really feel that way. I feel this was actually a really creditable win for Bayern. It was creditable in how comfortable it was. Creditable in them sort of holding off a good team for most of the second half. Okay, now that they have won. A big game at midweek against Mites in Mites to advance in the cup. They fought off this good side in Wolfsburg. You know, the future will hold what it holds, I suppose. But are you more or less ready to pronounce Bayern's dip in form over? Again, this all comes down to conditioning because I think the simplest thing to do would be to just adopt that narrative and say, right, well, Bayern have turned a corner, but on they go. But they have had some injury problems, which I think persist. I don't think that the good results that they have had necessarily will address perhaps the deficiencies in the squad that resulted in the draws that they've had and that they haven't been able to run away with it this season. Another classic Bayern narrative is, of course, Lewandowski. And now, of course, it's Lewandowski missing. He was such a big player for them that I think they probably are missing him more than maybe people thought that they might. And so there's a sense that that it's not a complete jigsaw for Bayern. And so it might well be that they don't necessarily go on a familiar unbeaten run or winning streak to, to claim the Bundesliga title. So I don't think it's it's over yet. And although, I mean, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about Union and Dortmund. Union in particular, those guys have got nothing to lose. Psychologically, you know, they can play the underdog I don't think that they're necessarily going to blow it themselves. They will keep Bayern under pressure. And as long as, you know, the teams that chasing Bayern keep them under pressure, then we might well continue to see a title race because Bayern will have to compete with that unfamiliar feeling as well of being placed, you know, un- under continual pressure through the rest of the season. So, so I think that there's reasons to be optimistic that we're in for a title race. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up the absence of Robert Lewandowski and the kinds of narratives both within the club and from outside that that creates. Because, you know, this is a club that you have to be ready to navigate those sort of choppy waters because there's going to be things happening all the time at Bayern. I mean, the latest thing was another player who's not part of the squad at the moment. That's Manuel Neuer, who, you know, is out for the season, having broke his leg skiing after the World Cup. He gave an interview with Raphael Honigstein this week in uh, the Süddeutsche Zeitung slash The Athletic, in which he tried to sort of explain himself 
and how that came to pass. There was a lot of head scratching and some grumbling about, you know, Bayern allowing a player to go skiing during the season or while he was under contract. And the way he explained it was that this was not like him going to, you know, a ski resort or whatever and doing a whole, you know, ski vacation. It was just a hill near where he lives and one that he's, you know, very accustomed to just hiking up and, and skiing down on a very informal basis with friends. You know, I'm not sure if that really <laughs> takes any culpability away from him and, and doing what he did during a season, which is, you know, it's a naturally dangerous activity. But the waves that he made really were some of the comments about the sacking of his goalkeeper coach slash best friend, Tony Topalovich, basically blasting. Bayern for getting rid of him, saying that he was completely blindsided, that it felt like he, you know, had, was, had his heart taken out, that it was, you know, the worst experience that he has had as a professional footballer. Very, 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 very strong words. So strong, in fact, that there is a degree of new narrativizing, and I'm not sure how justified this is, but it might be, that Bayern might just well say, okay, forget about it. We're going to move forward with Jan Zummer. With Alexander Nubel, perhaps, if he comes back now that Topalovic is gone and maybe maybe Neuer is gone, maybe they're going to go out and buy another goalkeeper. This is not a story that affects their play during the season this season because he's going to have no role. But it's going to affect both the work of that front office. It's going to affect perhaps players with whom he has a good relationship within the side who might, you know, have some sympathy or empathy for his feelings. It's going to definitely be a, a big press narrative if this drags on. It just sort of seemed like, you know, <laughs> this is a classic FC Hollywood story that they didn't really need right now. No, I mean, because we, we don't usually hear these kind of stories coming out of Bayern, do we? Not, I mean, not since the, the, the good old days of the actual FC Hollywood when, mm, yeah, when yeah. it was a soap opera. You know, they've been very, very good, I think, I guess, to an extent, perhaps locking down these kind of stories, but, but probably actually more accurately than not having anything like this going on in the first place. I mean, you're right. It's not necessarily something that affects Bayern in terms of winning and losing football matches on the playing field right now. The circumstances behind his accident now, are, from my mind, now are easier to contextualise now he's been put to us like that. This is like, you know, he went for a hike and then did a bit of skiing, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is probably something that rich young men when they live in that part of Germany do. And it, and in that respect, I guess it feels a little bit more natural and a bit more understanding. But, but I think the point is, yeah, is that if the club are beginning to make decisions in such a way as to upset long-standing members of the club, albeit ones that perhaps are on their way out, then, yeah, that can then cause ripples in themselves. They may not necessarily matter. Jan Sommer is, I think, acknowledged the best goalkeeper in the Bundesliga behind Neuer. And I think some might acknowledge to say that he's better than Neuer. I don't know. You'd have to be a goalkeeper to really know too much about that. I think that there's every likelihood that they will go with Jan Zoma. And yes, as a consequence, they're then thinking about making some changes to some personnel behind the scenes to reflect this new future under, under a new goalkeeper. But how do you go about doing that? And it would appear that they've done it in a way that's upset Manuel Neuer and there can be consequences you know, in other areas further down the line. And if they make similar mistakes like that, then yes, this is where the cracks appear in a hitherto impeccably run football club that has made almost all the right choices. And it can fall apart relatively easily. 
you know, falling apart in Bayern context probably means finishing second or third. But, you know, as opposed to finishing in the second division, <laughs> which, which can happens to clubs like Hamburg or Schalke or Stuttgart. Nevertheless, one of the reasons why Bayern are do, doing so well isn't just because they've got money. I know it's really popular for those of us who are not with Bayern to say that, but it's because they're really good at making decisions. They make good decisions all the time. If they stop doing that, then they will become vulnerable and, you know, they're there, you know, to be taken down. So, yeah, it was really interesting and quite insightful interview that and be interesting to see how, you know, the club's hierarchy responds to that and, and what they do in response to that. Yeah, if there's any early indication, it's they have responded very, very badly <laughs> to it. So what concrete steps will be taken, we're going to find out. Okay, let's move on and let's talk about the two clubs who managed to sort of keep pace with Bayern out of deference to you, Terry. We will talk about Dortmund first. You know, a lot to like, really. I mean, after a week in the English week, they got three wins, but they were sort of seesaw battles or somewhat narrow victories. And in this game, they just broke one off. It was a 5-1 win over a proper Bayfau Bay home crowd. You know, Freiburg, you know, they kind of laid it on a platter for them by getting a man sent off for two yellows in three minutes on the 17-minute mark. But, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. Terry, how do you put this into context? What, what's behind this recent streak of wins? Do you see major changes since the restart? No, I'm not perceiving too many major changes. I mean, I think that Dortmund are still quite a bit vibey. And my feeling is, is that they still err towards towards exploiting individual talent rather than necessarily using systems to win football matches. I mean, it's not a binary choice. It's a bit from column A and a bit from column B. And and I think that that aspect of it does cause me some degree of worry. But there's no arguing with their form since then. You know, the emergence, I think, of Adeyemi, I think, is very, very important. We're finally seeing him starting to show what we can do. I think that, and obviously I appreciate there's a huge amount of emotion tied up with all of this, and rightly so. But when Dortmund signed Sebastian Aller, I was delighted. I, I mean, he's been a fantastic player and a proper number nine for a, a lot of years now. Great at Frankfurt. Ah, not being good at West Ham is almost a badge of honour these days, to be honest with you. <laughs> and great at, at Ajax. And a proper number nine that's going to come in there and, and give some shape. And I think that I wouldn't be at all surprised if that's something that the analysts would look to as a reason why they're looking a little bit more secure and a little bit more solid. I, I suspect that the defensive issues probably are still there and I'm not optimistic of this continuing. But there was no argument with this result. I mean, again, um, Sedili's, like double yellow was really foolish. And I mean, Ala after the game, he said that they were a bit lucky that that happened, to be honest with you. But I suspect, I mean, Dortmund looked like, I think they were going to win that game personally anyway, but maybe not quite so much by 5-1. But... Yeah, I think that Edin Terzic is right to not get carried away about the possibility of a title race. There's so much more football yet to play. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up this idea that uh, Dortmund are a bit vibey, that they're they're sort of riding the individual quality of the players within their squad, which, you know, is a somewhat dangerous bet to make at times. But when your players play like you know they can play, which we've seen them play, I mean, essentially a lot of their players were just a bit off color, let's say, or had had some trouble settling in or had had cancer, for God's sakes. So now that you have Karim Adeyemi scoring in the last couple of games, you got Alaire getting off the mark, you got Gio Reyna, who now 
has become this like goal every game guy. I think there's there's a, a, a potentially a bright future if you can keep at least some of these players going through a good patch. I wanted to specifically ask you about Geo for a second because I think it's contractually obligated for me as an American to talk to you, a Dortmund fan, about this guy. We mentioned on a couple of podcasts earlier since the restart that, you know, there's been a bit of a cloud over the future of Marco Royce and whether or not he's going to accept a pay cut to stick around at Dortmund and whether Dortmund need to keep him. How does the emergence of Geo as a really consistent scoring threat color that conversation because you know he's not just scoring he scored one winner he scored you know some very high quality goals i mean this goal here on on saturday i saw somebody mention is almost you know like people talk about messi's goals being like uh you know it's the classic dribbled through the side and then dink it in after rounding the keeper no the classic messi goals from the edge of the area and it's a it's sort of a, a not very hard roller that is just a seam in the defense that no one else even sees. And those are really, really hard goals to score. And Gio just scored one of those. I am getting excited about him all over again. <laughs> and I wondered if, if you're with me there. I can't get as excited as you because I'm not a US citizen and I don't support the US men's national team. But I'm seeing the glint in your eye, which I think I suspect I see when I look in the mirror when I think about Jude Bellingham. So I think I know whereof you speak. Yeah, that goal was like, wait, did he score that? How comes no one saw that? <laughs> it's like, see, I knew it was going to be a goal because I was watching the replay of it because I didn't, I didn't get to watch the game live. But again, it's talent. It's an application of talent. And it's an amazing goal. On a technical footballing level, the emergence of Gio Reyna, particularly after what's been a fairly difficult winter for him, for one reason or another, well, one reason only, but is reassuring, particularly if you're thinking about it in the context of Marco Royce and the fact that perhaps his star is waning. Obviously, Marco Royce offers much, much more in the dressing room and in the club than Gio Reyna does. And so I think you probably have to separate those two things. And, and they, these are the things that you have to think about when you're wondering about what to do with contract renewals and stuff like that. I'm excited to see more of Reyna. I'm excited to see him start more. I'm hoping he goes on a long run of fitness and yes, a wrong run of fitness. I hope he stays fit for a long run of games, I think is what I meant to say. And I see no reason why he shouldn't. I'm not certain that he would go anywhere else at this point, With the obviously with the possibility of England. I'm not conscious that there's any talk about him going back to England, but I suppose that's always the possibility. But I think Chelsea have run out of crackpot signings and, and I think it's too much of a sensible signing for Chelsea. I think everybody else is keeping their powder dry. And then he's running out of places to go. And all of these cracking players that Dortmund have got, and not just Dortmund, but any of these clubs all over the Bundesliga and, and across Europe, you know, there's only about five or six clubs they can probably realistically play for if they wanted to have that big hike in wages and that big stop because... You know, it's a very different economic landscape now. I think Dortmund have got an excellent chance of keeping hold of that guy for a while longer, and I hope that happens. Here, here. I think he has some going to do still. Okay, let's switch gears. Let's talk about another USM and tier, much less illustrious, didn't make it to the World Cup, although <laughs> Gio only sort of made it, who actually was much more central in a game with big impact on the top of the table and its result. Jordan Pifok came off the bench with about 10 minutes to go in a game that was level at one apiece at the Alta Försterei. And uh, he made sure it wouldn't end that way. He needed just five minutes to find a winner for the Eisen. That was his first goal since that September hot streak that he went on to start the season. Terry, 
We are getting to be a broken record, aren't we? Union, so many late goals to either, you know, claim victory or sneak a draw in games where things were not going their way in the early going. It's almost like Union are, are really well conditioned and really well coached. I know. I know. Every time we come back here, we say the same thing. I mean, you could literally just replay what I'm about to say from an earlier episode of Talking Fußball. Uh, I mean, this is a club that is in a constant upward trajectory. It's just making the right decisions again all the time, much like more illustrious and richer rivals. And, you know, I hate to say it's Matt's in present August company, but, you know, they are, you know, without doubt at the moment, the top club. In Berlin, it's got to be said. I'm very sorry. Yes, I know. I know that was painful to hear. I'm wearing headphones, so trying to stick my fingers in my ears is not working. <laughs> I mean, not, notes of caution to things like Geraldo Becker, for example, who is probably overperforming in terms of his XG. It's possible that what's happening here is that these guys are going through an absolute blinder of a season and that they may regress to the mean. It's also possible in subsequent seasons that for that reason, they might overreach themselves and then struggle a bit. But it, is, it only seems to be going upwards. But yeah, well-disciplined, greater than the sum of their parts, well-coached and determined, thoroughly determined to keep going. And, and the idea of Union playing in the Champions League next season is nowhere near any kind of fantasy. It's certainly not my fantasy, Terry. Yeah, no, I don't imagine it is. I mean, I think it's worth just mentioning that whole business with Isco as well. Sure. When that was was not announced, but when it was when that broke, that story broke, I was extremely excited because he's a player that I have watched and admired down the years at Real Madrid and at Malaga. And grieved for the fact that he'd kind of fallen out of favour at Real Madrid and couldn't make it work in Sevilla and was happy that he was going to another club. And I was just like blown away by the fact that Union, who I'm sure, like most of our listeners, still can't stop but thinking of Union as being this, you know, small, somewhat parochial club from the second division <laughs> and that that's its natural place. And it's a measure of just how far they've come. Now, Isco is he's not damaged goods exactly but he doesn't have the standing of the player that he is. So we don't get too carried away. But it was a big, big statement. But I think the biggest statement was then not signing him. Because when it came to it, they said, well, look, sorry, dude, but you're just like, you know, these riders you want attached are just no good for us. And so rather than, and other clubs would have gone, oh, yeah, okay, they're not asking for much more. Let's just do it. They went, no, this is our boundary. This is where we go. Any further than here is going to injure us financially. And they turned down the opportunity of working with, you know, one, you know, potentially one of the greats. And so I don't want to get too carried away about that, but it does illustrate, again, what I've been saying about making what I think are the right choices. And in this instance, it was the right choice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Although it would have been awesome. Yeah, and I, I think know, that he would have, and he would have loved it there and they would have loved him and it would have been awesome. It would have been great fun to see him play yeah. in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Before we leave things to sort of marinate a little bit, during a break, I wanted to take things back to Freiburg just for a moment because they have not really gotten off the mark all that well here since the restart. I don't know if there's any correlation here, but Christian Streich certainly let his passions get away from him a little bit in this game, got himself sent off for complaining a little bit too much. Do you see any trouble for them at the moment? I mean, they were so steady during the first half of the season. You know, they were pretty much up in the, the Champions League places the entire time. They've sailed through their Europa League group. Bit of rocky water right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the English weeks don't help as well. I mean, I think that that's something that if you're off the boil somewhat, you don't need the English weeks to interrupt your flow. But I, I mean, it's still the same squad, right? 
I'm not conscious of there being any major absentees in there. I mean, I think that clubs do have, particularly during the winter, will have bad runs. And this is likely to uh, to be the case with, with here. Christian Streich is a hugely experienced, talented uh, and accomplished coach. Doesn't need me to tell him that he probably just needs to chill out a bit. But he probably feels that, you know, he'd be experienced enough to know that there's enough quality in that squad to be able to do what they want to achieve. And with, with, with a number of sort of like the regular Champions League contenders, perhaps not being quite at it, Leverkusen, Borussia Mönchengladbach, for example, the Freiburg has still got a chance, I think, of getting into the big show next year. Yeah, yeah. And I think people talk about Christian Streich very often for his like philosophical press conference answers or, or his, you know, lack of desire to sort of build some illustrious club coaching career. But I think part of his charm, part of his appeal is this sort of volatility and, and, and occasional irascibility. I mean, he's, he's gotten into some, some ding-dongs on the sideline between other coaches, between fourth officials. It feels almost like it's his only weakness is his inability at times to sort of control his passion for the game. And, and I, don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. I really like it. No, I'm not going to disagree with you there at all. Not at all. He's been a credit to his club and he's a, and he's a credit to the Bundesliga. Yeah, and uh, everybody has their flaws. Well, well, well. Let's take a break right there and come back with part two. So here we are. At part two of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This was match day 19. I'm Matt Herman, here with Terry Felon. I guess we should probably start off by addressing the other title candidates, um, who, who at least one of them sort of fell off the pace a little bit. That was uh, RB Leipzig. They got a nil-nil draw in Cologne, which is not a terrible result, but uh, it does dent their ambitions to get all the way to the top a little bit. As is our custom, <laughs> other than for uh, very, very special circumstances. Nil-nil draws do not get uh, a lot of play on Talking Foosball. So let's move on and talk briefly about Eintracht Frankfurt. They were probably the slightest of the six teams that lots of observers were calling title candidates after match day 18. They were, I guess, four points, five points back of the top instead of uh, you know three like most of them. But they didn't do anything to hurt their chances at home to Hertha BSC. Randall Kolomuani scored two in a first half that the Berliners kind of slept through. And Buta added a third just as the game was coming to a close. It was uh, a pretty open and shut case for a team that, you know, mathematically is not maybe quite as in it as Union or Dortmund or, or even Leipzig for that matter. But, you know, I... Don't really doubt their bona fides a lot. They they manage to both keep things pretty tight and, you know, score and score strongly in just about every game. I mean, this game against Hertha was not great from them. Still won 3-0. They had that game against uh, Schalke a couple weeks ago. Not great from them. Still won 3-0. This is a team that I think is pretty dangerous. Frankfurt. Oh, yeah, totally. Sorry. Yeah, obviously, you're not going to be talking about Hertha, are you? No. <laughs> Hell um, no. Yeah, no. They're, they're dangerous to themselves. <laughs> Eintracht, yeah, just the epitome of just complete ruthlessness. Absolutely fantastic. Well-honed uh, machine by Oliver Glasner and Randall Kolomwani is just just having the best possible time. I'm looking forward to him turning out on loan at Crystal Palace in three years' time after he's gone to Chelsea and he's 
bombed. But uh, sorry, that's a bit unduly cynical. He's been fantastic. We should celebrate this guy. He's been fantastic and, and celebrate Iron Tractor. I mean, when they're on it, they're absolutely marvellous. But yeah, they just have developed the ability to just put inferior teams to the sword without going to a great deal of fuss. And uh, that in its own way, you know, that is, is art and should be appreciated. Unless you're you, Matt. Yeah, yeah. And and I did notice that, you know, Redel Kolomwani is now such a big deal that he can draw just scandalously soft penalties. If you touch the man in the box and he falls over, he's going to get the call. It's the mark of a quality striker, is it? You've won over the respect of the referees. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, speaking of, of Schalke, who we brought up in passing there in, in, in the list of, of plaudits for Eintracht Frankfurt, they once again got a good performance, but they didn't get the win that their performance might have deserved. They went to Mönchengladbach and uh, held the Foles to a nil-nil draw, probably had the better of the chances in the game. Any stray thoughts about Schalke and their sort of – it's it's hard to call it a resurgence because they they picked up two <laughs> points in four games, but it's better than none. Yeah, I mean, I think that that illustrates the issue with Schalke, isn't it? It's like we're sort of, sort of like, you know, applauding the fact that they've drawn two clean sheets in a row. But yeah, they're woefully short on goals and um, it's hard to see where that's coming from. They're not at a point now where they're building for the Zweite Bundesliga next season, but it's not going to be too far off. But yeah, if they can unearth some way of manufacturing some goals from their system, then there's always a chance and we do need to remember that it's not as far along in the season as it normally is at, at this point. So there's there's some time for them to do it. But I think that they've got a, a ways to go yet before I think they can start uh, convincing people that they really are an actual Bundesliga side. Yep. Other plots were thickened in the, uh, you know, the sort of cellar, nether regions of the table. Bonfeld Bochum, five, two winners over Hoffenheim, which you know, not only drags Hoffenheim into the relegation conversation, but uh, puts Bochum with a bit of distance over the relegation playoff spot. They're now three points up on it and level with Hoffenheim. Hoffenheim, in fact, have already <laughs> reacted to that loss. They have, um, as we have recorded this podcast, decided to cut Andre Breitenreiter loose. Is that simply the inevitable result of a team going from, what, fifth in the table on, on match day five or something like that down to fourth bottom after just a dreadful run as they've been on? Yes, that is perfectly consistent with what football clubs do, and it's very difficult to argue with that decision. Andre Brighton-Writer has had his moments as a coach. Of course he has, but I never felt he was the most inspired choice of coach. I don't feel that he was a particularly imaginative choice of coats. And you do have to wonder who they've got in mind at this point of the season to replace him. And you have to wonder whether or not they're going to try and find some veteran or maybe clone Bruno Labbadia and, and get him into Stuttgart as well. It, TSG feel like a club that's just run out of ideas just in general. I mean, like I'm wondering what's the point in Hoffenheim? I mean, uh, apologies to any listeners who are fans but I'm hoping that you're asking yourselves that question. Where is this project going? What's the, what's the aim? What's what's the point here? Is it to be just a lower mid-table grey mouse Bundesliga football club? 
Well, I guess that's fair enough, but an awful lot of, of, of money and time and hard work has been put into this project. And you look at it now and you just think, well, I don't really know what it is that they're hoping to achieve. So we'll look with a great deal of interest as to who they appoint next and maybe uh, you know, and what they do in the summer. Perhaps uh, Dietmar Hopp needs to open his checkbook and sign some players. Yeah, it's it almost feels as though their role has been sort of taken by RB Leipzig. Exactly. Not only the fact that the, the Rangnick Association, which both clubs had in their, their sort of initial Bundesliga stage, but, you know, that the sort of, we don't have a lot of organic, you know, following or fans or whatever, but we do have all this sort of know-how and, and, and you know, sense of best practices and, and a modern approach. And like, Leipzig has basically just taken all those things and done them better. And is in a better place. You know, Leipzig is a much bigger city with much more natural potential and interest than Offenheim slash Zinsheim. Yeah, it, it just feels like it's the end of the road in a way. I mean, ever since Nagelsmann left, which is getting on, you know, five, six years now, they really haven't had anybody associated with the club, either as a coach or a manager or anything, that has felt particularly inspiring or has felt particularly forward-thinking or anything. It's just been a sort of a, a succession of interchangeable eh. I mean, in, in a way, Andre Breitenreiter has been the sort of least imaginative of the bunch, but at least he went down to Switzerland and, and won the league there, which I think was the only reason he ever got another job in, in the Bundesliga. I Maybe they can get Pellegrino Matarazzo. He, he's, he's sort of somebody who has some experience with that club and would be at least a little bit of a sign that they're not just you know trying to keep their heads above water, but you know, maybe that's what they should concentrate on right now. Yeah, I mean, thinking of it a little bit more deeply, they probably, you know, Half and Nine was set up as a passion project by a, as someone who 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 is, you know, those of us some some of us who have a passion project, we just go up to our attics and we build a train set. Dietmar Hop, he built a football club. He also, he had the good judgment to hire Ralph Rangnick to help develop that club. And now, of course, when Rangnick departed, it's kind of, you know, but he needs to find somebody else who can sort of like get, and so he can give them the keys and say, right, we need to just, um, you know, rebuild this and think again, or a team of people to be able to do that. And that's really not very easy to do at all. So so I, I don't think it, it works very good. Not, I, I agree with you. I mean, they feel like, yeah, they, they can't, they've had their talent kind of taken away from the Red Bull project. And, and again, I mean, the Red Bull project for uh, as much as I've made my views on that project abundantly clear, I won't go into them again, but it is at least extremely well thought out and based on a larger group from all over the world from which they can draw significant resources from. So, and that's something that Hoffenheim were never really into. So it just feels a little bit like if you know your English football history, it's got that you'll remember, you might remember a guy called Jack Walker at Blackburn Rovers feels a bit like that. Mm, yeah, it just ran its course. And how far into obscurity have Blackburn Rovers fallen at this point? Blackburn may go up this year, okay. to be fair, oh, but it well, has been a long road back. It's <laughs> been a long road back, it's got to be said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, another team who has been making moves away from the drop zone is uh, Augsburg. They now have a, a full five points separating themselves from the relegation playoff spot. They got a big win on Friday night against Leverkusen. <clears throat> Interesting stuff going on there. They were very active in the transfer window. Maybe in a way this is like a delayed attempt to you know provide their coach the team that he actually wants to play with. Because 
it took a while for things to get cooking there, but I think they're I think they're cooking now. Yeah, I think they've got faith in the coach. I think the coach has done a really good job in showing faith to be able to get to where they are now. Uh, they they can be really frustrating to watch play, but they know who they are. <laughs> you don't say. And we <laughs> yeah, all thought yeah. maybe Enrico Masson was going to change things. But yeah, but no. I mean, he's no, he's no, he's gone for it. He's gone for it. I mean, look at the DNA of your club, and you say, "Well, I'm not going to rewrite this. This is how this club is." Uh, and in he goes, and and he makes it work. And I mean, yeah, I mean, Mergen Barisha, like. Six goals, four assists. There's no arguing with that. And the young fella, Arne Engels, who's come in from, is it Club Brugge? Club Brugge's second team, sorry, from the Belgian second division. And two assists in four games. And he looks decent. Augsburg have got uh, Mainz, they've got Hoffenheim, they've got Hertha, and then they've got Werder for the next four games. And I think that there's a good chance that they might get maximum points out of those bad boys. And we could see them actually being interesting. I think actually we could declare Augsburg interesting, and we don't often say that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm ready to put them in the interesting column at this point. One more team to address, uh, one more game, in fact. Werder Bremen defeated Faustbach Stuttgart 2-0. Obviously, this is, is, is good for Bremen. It's another win for them after that, that big one over Wolfsburg. Not great for Stuttgart. It keeps them down in the 16th and relegation playoffy rung on the table. Probably probably a little bit fortunate for Bremen in this one. Faust Bay played well enough, but they made some bad mistakes. Yeah, individual errors costing Stuttgart, I think, a point here. Mavropanos in particular needs to look at himself in the mirror and say, you know what, fellas, I could have done a lot better. It was disappointing. I mean, you know, Dux and Steiger took their chances really, really well, and they were, but they were given those chances pretty much on the plate, and they deserve it. And that's a, a nice, comfortable, happier way win. I hope Nick, uh, while he's sunning himself in Oman, is uh, enjoyed hearing about that one. I won't say it was it was unlucky to the point where Averda didn't deserve the three points. They totally did. They totally scored more goals than Stuttgart. That's <laughs> what it says here on the paper. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. I literally watched it on my television screen. I saw it happen. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I think Stuttgart fans can feel uh, aggrieved, I think, that perhaps, you know, with a little bit more sharpness, uh, that might have taken a different course that game. Yep, yep, I agree. Okay, that's all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Really great to have you back, as always, Terry. Great to be here, Matt. Always an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Absolute dynamite. You can find Terry on Twitter at Terry DeFellin. You can pick up his book, Borussia Dortmund, A History in Black and Yellow, wherever you buy your books. If you want to contact me over there on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Look out for Talking Foosball Extra with Nick and the gang later in the week. This is some Nick's and Molly, y'all. 